I'm going to start uh, with just reading the first verse of the sermon today. I don't know if I put my notes in. Let's just click this button and see if it happens. Oh, my word. Todd's amazing. Let me read this verse, and then I'm going to open with a word of prayer. Luke chapter 11, verse 24 says, When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, this is Jesus speaking, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, and finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to ask you now for clarity of thought, Lord, not only for myself, but for all in this room, Lord, I'd ask that you would make clear what is being taught in this passage. Lord, I know that on one hand, this text teaches a very simple truth that we can grasp easily, Lord, but the implications could be immense for many of us in a very real way. And so, Lord, I would ask that you would guide the conversation today, guide the words today. Lord, I pray now that you'd be with those in this room that, Lord, need to understand this on a deep level, Lord, I would ask that you would open their minds and their hearts to hear and understand. I pray this now in Christ's name, amen. All right, if you could also pop the lights on for me. <clears throat> this verse starts off with an unclean spirit. So I'm gonna tell you what's gonna happen today. I'm gonna kind of, I don't know what else to call it. I'm gonna kind of meander through this passage. There's three verses, I'm gonna kind of meander through it at the very end, there are three lessons I think we can walk away from it. Uh, as I meander through this, you're going to experience, I think, in one way, how I tackle a passage. And so as I'm working through this, I'm going to meander through it in a way where I'm, this is how I'm operating and understanding and seeking and learning from this. I found this text to be fascinating in so many ways, and I hope that you will grasp that too. I hope that you'll hear it and go, but this, this is astounding, what's, what's being said here. But I think the implications, not just what's being taught, because on one hand, you're going to hear what's being taught, and you're going to go, it's going to feel very familiar. But there's some implications here that I think we all ought to take into consideration, and that's what the three lessons will be about in the end. But notice, it starts off with, with what is called an unclean spirit. An unclean spirit is a fallen angel, right? We call it, what, are, what are the words we use for these unclean spirits? Demons, I think I heard somebody say. This is what Paul refers to in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Let's take a look at that. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 says, And you were dead. This is talking about someone who is not a Christian. It says, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So there's a spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience. Talking not just only of the one prince of the power of the air, but all of his, um, without giving you uh, weird images in your head, but all of his minions. Please don't thank little yellow people, right? Um, right? But these minions of Satan, right, that we call demons. And it says that all of us among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. So there's this flesh element that's at work in us, this spiritual element that's working in us carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So before you're saved, the Spirit can be literally at work in you. 
We know from Ephesians chapter 6, later on in this same book, as Paul is now talking to those who have been saved, we're not free entirely of encounters with these beings. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers. Think about the different words it uses to describe what's going on here. The rulers, against the authorities. And if you're thinking all earthly things, then suddenly the next one kind of blows that out of the water. Against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I think that I need to throw out there for just a moment. When we start talking about these things, I always want to, or I always feel the urge to be completely honest with you and say, there's aspects of this that I barely grasp. Who's with me on that? Right? Uh, I have extreme skepticism over anybody that goes, I understand it completely. I'm like, <laughs> really? Wow. And that's because we're, we're not given full pictures. We're given glimpses throughout Scripture. Of there's, this, there's, there's something more than just this physical. People will tell you a lot of times in a modern world, this is it. I think most of us inherently somewhere know that's not accurate. There's something more. We get glimpses of this through Scripture. It's important to note, like I mentioned here, um, notice from the passage we talked about. Let me click back real quick. Um, it says the spirit, the spirit had gone out. This unclean spirit had gone out of this person. Jesus is telling us this, this story that there's this person, this unclean spirit, went out. He's gone out. Notice he wasn't kicked out or booted out, although that's not out of the question in this particular story, as we'll see. But here you have a person who had this unclean spirit, and now it's not in them. We see... Also from those passages in Ephesians that for us as Christians, there cannot be that dwelling in, but the encounters are not all gone, are they? We're still going to wrestle with these things. Hold that little thought in your mind. So this, this again, this is how I'm, I'm learning this passage. I'm taking these things as clues. I feel like I want to say something you know, like Sherlock Holmes. I'm putting together these clues, but I usually end up feeling more like Scooby-Doo when I'm finding these things out. Um, I accidentally falling into the the guy that's wearing the costume. Um, <clears throat> we had followed the course of this world, followed the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is not working, the sons of disobedience. But this unclean spirit in this particular story we're looking at that Jesus has shared, it's gone out. Now, the waterless places is just an easy way of saying the spirit went to places looking for other people, but there was no people. That's a way that they would talk about in those days where because where would the people be at? Where people places where there's water. Okay. In fact, it was a tra tradition that they felt like demons haunted, so to speak, um, those desert places. And so he's speaking a little bit into their mythology, but also talking about literally these spirits. And we're getting a clue here. They want to be in people. That's weird, isn't it? I don't get that. I don't understand that. We'll take a slight detour. Can we take a rabbit trail for a moment? Let's take a rabbit trail for a moment. Let's just do that. And since I'm a math teacher, I'm going to put up some charts. You guys okay with charts? Okay, I got some pie charts for you. Um, I, I think one of the things 
that I believe is a reality that we're going to see in this text. And I think that most of you know to some degree that when we're dealing with sin issues in our lives, there's a weird balance that is hard to define as to how much of it is physical and how much of it is spiritual. Okay? Now, if you're sitting in this room, you're like, if you completely deny the physical and just focus entirely on the spiritual, there are some that may be like that. There are some issues you may be facing that, but I, I, I've not encountered any that would be 100% spiritual issue and there's nothing physical going on at the same time. There's also some things that are extremely physical in nature affecting you, right? How you operate, what you do. There's things about your physical body. And that, that's a very biblical concept. Paul talks about this, talks about being stuck in this body of death, right? In fact, as an educator, I also know, and I think you know, it, there, there's this little thing that you can do that can be so great, but also so terrible. Habit. Right? Have you ever gotten where you've done something so often, it's, and it's literally, they've actually shown there's some truth to this, that you can wire your brain that boom, 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 this is what happens. Some of you experience this when you get up in the morning, right? You've gotten up at a certain time so often that your body almost naturally does it, right? There's some great habits. There's also some habits that you can develop from that. I'm, I've gotten to the place now where I get up, I... My mind is not even awake yet. Are you guys like that when you get up in the morning? Like, I'm not, I'm not really awake. I could, I could be anywhere. I don't even know where I'm at. But you know what my body does? It walks to the coffee pot all on its own. I've deve- That's my first stop, coffee pot. Who's like that? Right? And then I always have the same. That, and it's habit now. I can't break it. I'm not even going to try. I always have the same thing happen. I always get mad at myself that I didn't set the timer to go off, to, like do it the night before. At night, I go, I have a habit, goes, I should go ahead and set this so it's ready for me in the morning. I go, ah, no, nah, it's not going to be that big a deal. And then I have the habit in the morning, I go, why didn't I set that last night? And then you're making the coffee and, and trying to get it all worked out. Some of us know this habitual reality when you drive have you ever driven somewhere, you, you get in your car and you're headed somewhere, and you drive the same path every day, but then you're planning on going somewhere else, but then you end up finding yourself turning the same direction, and you're like, wait, it's Saturday, why am I driving to work, right? It, it, there's, there's a reality, there's some physical things, and you will find that there's a lot of things that, sin issues, that there's clearly something spiritual, but you've also developed, intentionally or not, something physical. Some of these problems, and just to put, throw up some random percentages. Some might be like this, right? A lot of spiritual issues going on here, but there's some physical things also involved. Now, I'm going to tell you in just a minute, after I show you these pie charts, I don't like the pie charts at all because we're, we're completely a spiritual being, we're completely a physical being, and it's not really important to figure out how much of which one is which, okay? But it's interesting to think about. It's interesting to address. We've got some biblical counselors in a room that will tell you it's important to address the physical and the spiritual. Okay? I have a feeling this might cause more questions than answers as we get through today. I think there's some things that are very physical. I'm going to give you some examples in just a few minutes. But I think there's some things that there's, there's a lot of physical elements involved in what this sin issue is in your life. Right? I think that sometimes it's more like this. 
right? And I could have thrown 500 more little pie slices in there, right? There's all kinds of things going on in our heads that lead us into those things. But I hope what you're going to find is that the key element, the key element from this text, I think you're going to find the key element, and this is why I reject the pie chart, the key is going to be the spiritual. Does that mean we ignore the physical? Absolutely not. But the key in this text is going to be wrapped up in this spiritual side of things. Now, Philip Ryken, one of the commentators I read as he was looking at this passage, and this is going to now, we're going to go now back into the passage. He says this of this passage. He says, this mysterious passage lifts the veil on the spiritual realities of the unseen. Oh, I don't have it up there. There we go. Sorry, guys. Just look at me like, I don't see it. <laughs> it was a spiritual slide. You couldn't see it. I'm sorry. This mysterious passage lifts the veil on the spiritual realities of the unseen world. It tells us that demons are restless creatures who sometimes wander in the wilderness, but are seeking to find a home. It says further that they are seeking to find this home in the soul of a human person, and that in some cases a person may be possessed by many. You're going to hear that in this passage, by many demons. One more thing before I continue back into the passage. Um, as I was sharing with Charity this yesterday, we talked about, it's important to talk about who am I talking to when I'm talking about this passage. In one sense, I'm talking to all of you. I cannot see any more than anyone else the inside spiritual life of a person. Can you? Can you literally, it, it's a, not a physical thing to see. Our eyes cannot see it, literally, right? Do we detect it? I think Jesus, when he talks about even the spirit of God, he says, he, he ta- uses the wind as an illustration. You see its effects, but you don't see the wind. There's something going on. We can see its effects, but we can't tangibly see it. And Jesus is pulling back the veil a little bit. But we're dealing with these sorts of things. So in one sense, I'm talking to all of us. We observe. We need to be observers. Looking at the outward expressions of these inward hidden realities. This is important to do. For those that need specific clarity, I italicized this in my notes to make sure I said this out loud. If you are a Christian, you wrestle against, but you cannot be possessed by. Okay, I wanted to make sure. In case, because I, I know... As a teacher, let me give you a side illustration. Um, when I talk about, like, uh, so important to do all of your homework, you know the one kid that gets really concerned about not turning in all their homework is the one that turns in all their homework, right? So if I give a lecture and it's important to turn in your homework, the kid that never turns in his homework, he's, he's not even listening to anything I'm saying. Um, I, I find the same thing true in these cases. So often we, we hear these things and we tend to direct them all this way. This is, okay. It's important for you to understand, as a Christian, if you are a child of God, you are in, we learned about this in Sunday school, you are indwelt by the very Spirit of God, and we're going to come back to that, but I just want to plant that there in a minute. I'm also speaking then to all of us as observers, not just of ourselves, but outwardly. What you will hear in this passage may sound very familiar, familiar to what you have observed in others and possibly, again, what you've observed in yourself. So I want you to listen carefully to what Jesus says here. Let's dig in a little bit further. Verse 25. And when it comes, so the Spirit, he'd gone out. The Spirit has now come back. And what does he find? He finds the house, the house swept 
and put in order. What is the house? The person, right? This man. This swept and put in order is exactly what you think it could be. Behaviors have been cleaned up. Actions have been cleaned up. Thoughts have been cleared out. There's been some real work done in this house. Don't miss that. Now, I'm going to introduce to you four cases to try to bring this into a reality. I don't usually get this practical, but I think it's important that we do this. Case number one, four cases as observers. Case number one would be what I would call the, or let me just put it this way. Let's say those who have struggled with uh, alcohol or drug addicts, people who have struggled with those things. There's very clearly a physical side to that, is there not? <laughs> Obviously so. Is there also a spiritual side to that? Very much. I'm not even going to attempt to determine the balance. In fact, I would say for each person it could be different. What's really fascinating is you look at there are some things that you do that have addictive elements to them. That ha- It's not an actual chemical process. It's psychological. Right? You think, I need this thing to, right? It's amazing when you, scientists look at these realities and look at these things. Could it be that success is possible when the spiritual element is tackled as well? Absolutely. In fact, those of you that have been through AA, and I love that we have a church that I can just be like, those of you have done this, and I know those people in here that have, and that's awesome because such were some of you. Church ought to be full of people who have had all kinds of battles in their lives. Some of you that have been through that know that there's a recognition, and what do they usually refer to? They don't say God. What do they usually say? A higher power. I think they recognize that there's something else at play besides just the physical. That's case number one. And I think that you can already imagine, can you picture, and I think this is why this passage rings so true. You've seen people, known people, and been people who had moments of reprieve. And it got cleaned up. And maybe you've never really dug into why that happened, but I'm suggesting to you that one of the possibilities may be found right here. That there was something spiritual going on in addition to the physical. It may be all your willpower in the world, but once that spiritual element was removed, you may have had some time of reprieve. Case number two, different type of addiction. One that I think plagues our country. One I think that is... In fact, I would say probably there's not a man in this room that has not in some way, shape, or form struggled with this. Pornography. Right? Looking at it, the temptation, it's there, it's real. Many people that don't struggle with it, they just don't have access. It's not that they don't struggle. One of the ways you can tell that you have a struggle with it is what do you do when nobody else is watching? What do you do when the commercial comes on and your wife isn't in the room? How quickly do you look away? How quickly do you battle that? This is a sin issue. There's a spiritual side, obviously. Could there also be a physical side to that as well? Yeah. I hate to tell you, but I I have testosterone. That's very physical, and it does things to my brain. 
There are inclinations. You guys are like, I can't be at this church anymore. I'm sorry. (laughs) It is what it is. Can that become an addiction? Yeah. Very much so. You think about all the, not just physical, there's actually physiological things that come into play, chemical, the mental relief, like I've, there's, there's gratification and there's all sorts of things and then that need. I could put on here food addiction. Case number three, um, and I lumped these together, fear, worry, anxiety. Very much a spiritual side to that. Is there also very much a physical side to that as well? Absolutely. We're commanded not to worry. We're told to cast our our anxieties on him. We are told not to fear and to only fear God. Does this mean that physical element isn't involved? Absolutely not. It's there. Some of us, our brains, in fact, I would argue that possibly all of us, our brains are wired to fear. The extent of that can be different for many different people. Do we not address the physical? I think we ought to. There's lots of ways to do that, but we ought to consider that there is a spiritual element involved as well. And I think too many of us err on one side or the other. Right? Try to tackle our problems all on the physical. What we do to try to deal with the physical side of it. Even down to those things like, I'm just going to have a whole lot of willpower. That's a physical battle you're doing there, not necessarily a spiritual battle. I'm going to, by the strength of my brain, right? Some of us fall all too quickly on the spiritual side, and it's all spiritual. This you see quite often when you see someone struggling with certain things. It's easy for us to cast judgment and say, that's just a spiritual problem. There's physical realities at work, too. Let me throw up the fourth case. This one, I think, plagues many, many people in ways that they don't even realize. It's the, it's laziness. It's a weird balance with this one. There's some obvious physical realities. There's some definite physical benefits to being lazy. (laughs) Amen? (laughs) Wait, no, no, don't amen that, no. Um, There's definite... Physical, there's, I mean, have you ever just taken a day? Now, I know, I know, some people then they, they try to, but the Bible has all these things to say about rest. You're right, I know, but I'm going to be honest with you. There's some times where I'm taking a rest, and it's not because I needed to rest, it's because I'm being lazy. Okay? Maybe you're like that too. There's some times where it's like, I should be working, and I'm just, I'm, I know what I ought to be doing, I'm not doing it. There's some physical benefits. The enjoyment feels good. How about the version of laziness that looks like just being entertained? Have you thought about that as a version of laziness? I'm going to put my brain in neutral and be enter- entertained me, world. I always feel like the world looks back and goes, are you not entertained? Okay, that's my movie reference for the day. Um, gaming. This isn't one of the ones that I've struggled with, but I did. I remember the day I walked away from it because I was like, this is consuming my life. I first married, and I was like, nope, no more. No more, I'm not going to, if at all possible, 
And now it's pathetic because when people do, when I do sit down to try to play one, I'm like, how do you? Where's the joystick? And the one but why is there so many buttons? Don't miss what else is true about this house when the unclean spirit returns. Daryl Bach puts it this way. When the demon returns, it finds the house clean, but ready to be occupied or reoccupied. Nothing has been done to prevent re-entry of the evil one. Now, some of you, I'm again going to say, this is going to feel very familiar in ways that I don't want to joke about, but say in heart-wrenching ways. This feels very real. And I want to think that Jesus is giving us a peek behind the curtain of one of the realities of what's happening. Listen carefully and see if this next verse rings true as well. Verse 26. And then it goes. And I, again, I want to say, when you read this, there's, there's the, the obvious thing that we say, oh yeah, this, I, I've seen this. In fact, then some of you are going to hear this and you're going to, I've seen this in a name. Sometimes it's the name of someone you love deeply, wholeheartedly. Let, let yourself go there. When the demon returns, right? It says, then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. The word dwell, there's two different words that Luke could have used to refer to, that could have been translated dwell. One is a temporary, like taking a vacation home. This is the word that says, I'm setting up permanent residence. This demon has returned and he's brought roommates more evil than himself. If you ever wonder what these spiritual forces are ultimately seeking to do, you could summarize it in the word destruction. There's all kinds of ways we could go down, why they would want that, how they want that, the ways they want to destruct a person. But ultimately, these evil presences are seeking to destroy all that is good from God. Why was the house unoccupied? We need to look back at the context. So now we're going to jump back to the last sermon that I preached because there was something really important that was mentioned there that Jesus just said right before he came to this. And context is so important, is it not? He doesn't address why the house is empty because he's talked about something previously. Listen back. Luke chapter 11, going back to verses 21 and 22 talking about the, the, the prince of demons. They were accusing him of these things. But then he describes something else. He says, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own place, his goods are safe. And I want to tell you right now, he's talking about not just the minions, but the prince of the power of the air. But when one, I love this word, stronger than he, attacks him and overcomes him 
he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. My medieval mind loves that. I picture this one coming in, knocking down the walls, busting through the gates, the one that is stronger, taking possession and dividing the spoil. Is that not great? Jesus is the stronger man. Not the strong man, the stronger man. In this passage, Beelzebul, the prince of demons, is the strong man under him. All those minions don't compare. I'd like to look at Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 to 15, to think about one of the things that Jesus did at the cross in our salvations, right? In our salvation. Consider Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. It says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. That sounds funny because we just heard Paul talking about this in Ephesians. That's how you were. God made alive together with him, having forgiven all us all our trespasses. Okay? And then listen, though. How did he do this? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. So there's a whole side of it we love, but there's other things going on. He says this. He set aside, nailing it to the cross, and then listen carefully. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. There's a triumph in salvation. I wish I had more time to delve into this, talk about this. I, if you missed Sunday school, you should listen to it. We were just talking about this reality. That one of the things that happens, that moment of salvation, that moment, that, that unseen thing that you can't see, right? That thing, like when, when a person goes from dead to alive, right? I can't physically see that. But when that moment happens... The Spirit of God comes into this house and dwells forever. He's a seal guaranteeing your inheritance. He is there for good, permanent residence in this house. And he is the stronger man. Which is why we know that a Christian cannot any longer be possessed. Can we be harassed? Yes. Possessed? No. Very important reality as we process our lives. Daryl Bach describes this whole situation. He says, this, the picture is of a person who has experienced a great act of God, but has not responded to it since the occupied house is left empty. I like that he calls it a great act of God because all good things ultimately come from God. Every gracious thing that happens, every, every time a person cleans up their act, ultimately that's God. Because all good things come from above. But this person has not responded to it since the occupied house is left empty. The person has learned nothing and is still subject to the same demonic influence. The tragedy is that by not responding, the opportunity for a permanent reversal is lost. Failure to have God enter in has left the person in peril. Some of us feel this deeply when you have that person that you, you're, you love them. And you see them, they, they, they have this turn, you're like, and you start to get your hopes up, don't you? But do you ever feel in your hopes like there's peril? Absolutely. Because you don't know. You can't see in. Is, is the spirit in there now? Let's go back to our cases. Case number one. 
And let's just think about this time, this worse than the first. Worse than at first. Case number one, alcoholism, drug addict. This one I, I don't even know if I need to explain. Have we all seen this either with someone else or in our own lives? We've seen people go from this to something harder. Maybe going deeper into the extent. What about the destruction in the other areas of life? Does that happen? What about all the other sins that start to creep in, connected to it? Laziness, right? Anger, dishonesty, lust. All these other things start to attach. Can you not see this person? The house was cleaned up. And when the demon comes back, he brings with them seven more that are more evil than himself. What about the ones that come back that are more interested in the long game? This is one we don't recognize often enough. How about the ones that come back and say, hey, wait, 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 wait. Instead of going this route, I got a better one. This will destroy him in the end. Let's let him think he defeated this on his own. Let's get him to write a book about how to beat this. Let's let him make him think he's now self-reliant. And he will not give God the glory and he will go the rest of his days exalting in his own greatness and miss God. And in the end, he'll be destroyed. There are some unclean spirits that have the long game in mind. They do not want you to recognize God as God. They want you to be dependent upon yourself and steer you away from the good God. How about the porn addict? Coming back, not just the soft stuff. Maybe it started off with swimsuits. And it gets worse and worse. Not just visual, then it wants to go physical. Let's do this or do that or try this or try that. They become neglectful of other things. They start treating others differently, start treating their spouse as an object. How about fear? Case number three, fear, worry, anxiety starts to dominate every thought, become the driving force in all decisions, neglecting their job, neglecting other people. How many hours could be end up, end up spent researching, checking? Failure to be grateful for what has been given. Gratitude is gone for what you have. Fail to love God most of all. What about the demon that comes back and says, let's give them what they want so they will never seek for God? How about the sluggard, the lazy one? The gaming affects the job. The entertainment affects life. The demon who plays the long game, and this one may look like this. Hey, I work to live. 
I hate to tell you that you guys don't actually work to live. You live to work. Okay? I'm, I'm working for the weekend. No, you're not. <laughs> work entered the world before sin did. God gave Adam and Eve jobs to do. Work is valuable. You don't work so you can play. Some people feel like if all I'm doing... No, there's, there's an important element. Now, I don't want to get carried too far. Some of you are like, no, but what about, what about? I, I know, I know, I know there's a whole 5,000 other issues involved there. But I'm talking, I'm addressing the problem. The one who is consumed with that. There's some really hardworking people whose sin is actually disguised laziness. They're working real hard so they can take it easy. Living for the weekends, living for the vacations. How about this one? Living for the retirement? I would urge you to put off retirement as long as possible. And if you can afford to retire from a job, spend your twilight years living and working for your Father in heaven. Let me ask you, does all this ring true? There are three lessons I want to give you as we close. Three lessons I want to encourage you to walk away from. And I hope that these three lessons, because I feel like this could be kind of like, okay, what do I do with this information? The clearest and most obvious lesson is lesson number one. This is and is meant to be a warning. That's what Jesus is doing in this moment. We already had a Daryl Bach quote a moment ago where he said, failure to have God enter in has left this person in peril. Listen to Leon Morris, another commentator. He says, when anyone gets rid of an evil spirit and puts nothing in its place, he is in grave moral danger. No one can live for long in a moral vacuum, but a victory over evil that, that lasts is one such that evil is replaced with good and with God. And I would emphasize the second part, with God. So this is a warning. We've seen it all too often. I'm going to leave the warning there. The warning to me is the easy one, the easy lesson. This is obvious. Let me dig a little bit deeper because there's some implications. And so lesson number two, hope. Hope. To put simply what this hope is, this. The stronger man, right? The stronger man. Before I dig into some of these passages, I want to dig through some of these passages a little bit, but I just, I, I just want to speak to you personally for a moment. Um, it's, it's interesting to me how I experience these spiritual realities, okay? On the one hand, I would say that before I was a Christian, what, what this, when I talk about what this feels like, how I experience it, right? The actual, my, how my physical brain is recognizing these things, unclean spirit, working against me, tempt, temptations, all these things. I usually don't give them a lot of credit. I got enough of old, my own junk going on up here that I'm like, I don't think Satan's even worried about tempting me. He's already pretty screwed up. So, I, But there's a, still this spiritual reality. And I have had times in my life where that temptation felt like I must do. I must act. I must feel. I must, I must. And it felt overwhelming, driving force, cosmic authority is what Paul called it. 
the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. I can look back at my life and know that was me. But I'm going to be honest with you. When I became a Christian, I thought that change would feel different than what it felt like. Now, some of you in this room, and I'm not being snarky, but I'm going to tell you, some of this room, it, it, maybe it's been different for you. For me, I'm just telling you how it's been for me. In a lot of ways, it doesn't feel a whole lot different. I'm going to be honest with you. Those temptations feel just as strong. I think from this passage, what I've gleaned is that it feels, it's kind of like in this house I'm in, the spirit's in here, but what are those demons doing now? They're out there pounding on the window, right? They're harassing, they're they got the place surrounded sometimes. I don't want to extend the illustration too far, but that's, that's a great way for me to describe it. And I have found that I kept thinking initially, victory in Jesus means I'm no longer going to feel like doing these things. And I thought, there's something wrong with me. Because I got saved, but I still want to do this terrible stuff that I can't even say out loud. Why? I'm screwed up. I'm never going to, right? One of the key defining moments of my own spiritual growth was when I, the, the realization came. I was like, your strength, that's not the important part. My grace will be perfected, not in your strength, but in your weakness. So maybe this victory in Jesus thing looks like in the midst of this house that's surrounded, I'm simply going to do what God has called me to do in spite. We get clues of this all through the scripture. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. I had it backwards. I was wanting them to stop harassing me so I could do the right thing. And God is saying, no, I've already, this house that's cleaned up, that wasn't you that did it this time. There's somebody else living here. Let me take a look at just a few passages to, to go along with this. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? See, if that's a reality, then that's there. And I want to encourage you, there's hope, because I'm telling you what. If you're waiting for the spirit's work to look like now you don't feel like any of these things, give it up. Now, I... I am so grateful and thankful for those of you that said, God just gave, I, I got saved. I didn't want this or I didn't want that anymore. Great for you. <laughs> that has not been my experience. It has been a battle every step of the way to do what God has called me to do. And I'm fine with that because now he gets all the glory. He gets all the glory. God's spirit is dwelling in you. And he's, is he the strong man or the stronger man? Stronger man. You know, you do not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. He came up with the down payment. He didn't have to take out a mortgage. He bought you. He's dwelling here now. So glorify God in your body. It's amazing you see that action. Well, do it. 
2 Corinthians 6.16, what agreement has a temple of God that you with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Romans 8, speaking on the fight side of this, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, recognize that part for just a moment. I'm stuck in this until I die. I've done some stupid things and had some really weird ways of thinking that have, I've wired my brain lots of stupid ways to think lots of stupid things. Have you? I'm trapped in this meat computer till the day I die, right? I'm stuck with this. But praise God, there's one who is stronger. I deal with it, by the way. Try to develop new habits. Try to break, break bad ones. Those are great things to do physically, but there's something else at play. I know that the victory will come, not because I have great willpower, but because I believe there's a stronger man in me. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead <coughs> will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. There's going to be life in this mortal body because of that spirit that is now dwelling in you. That spiritual begins to affect even the physical. This, to me, spurs hope. 2 Timothy 1 says, Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me and the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So I'm physically, I'm looking at the sound words. I'm reading, okay, this is what, the word, this is what I need to do. I'm, you know, take heed to these things. How are we going to do it? By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, right? Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Again, I don't want to stretch this illustration too far, but there's a third lesson that I think we need to take into consideration, and it's this, insight. This glimpse gives us an opportunity for insight. You're an observer of yourself and of others. Let this reality sink in. When we see this destructive behavior, a cleanup and a refalling and a collapse, at some point, now I know, I know the Proverbs says the righteous man falls seven times and gets back up. I know that's true. There's, this is why I say exercise insight, that we cannot see these spiritual realities. But as we observe the clues, and we're looking for our Scooby Snacks, right? And we're putting these clues together. Some of us might need to go pull off the, the sheet and go, you're not, right? I mean, that's the, at some point, we might need to go, there's somebody else in here. It's Farmer Brown, <laughs> Sometimes at some point when we see this cleanup and then refalling and this greater destruction, at some point we need to ask the question, maybe the problem is right here. You're doing everything physically right, but there's something else lacking. We ought to consider that key issue might be the absence of the stronger man. Because that spirit will give life to your mortal bodies. Now I don't say this to plant fear in your hearts. But I also don't say it to avoid fear. There's a deep reality that we see in Matthew chapter 7. We talked about this this morning. There are some people who are going to get to that day 
And they're going to say, here we are. And Christ is going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. You can not only deceive others around you, you can also deceive yourself. This is, so this is an important, important reality. Let me take a look at just a couple passages that I'm almost, I know it's almost noon. You guys have been so good, thank you. I only had 10 minutes worth of material. I don't know what happened. I read through this, it took me 10 minutes. Now I'm up here still, I don't know. Second Peter chapter two, I, I wish I could dig into this passage more. I'm just gonna read it and let you soak in it, maybe do some further study on it. It's talking about some, some false teachers and it says here in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 19 uh, through 22, it says, They promised them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. Okay? For if they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, I, important to understand here, this does not necessarily mean that as observers... You can observe someone where from our perspective they've escaped corruption in the world through a knowledge of Jesus Christ. That does not necessarily always mean that that's literally what happened inside of them. Does that make sense? There are, you think there are people who said, I believe, but they don't? Absolutely. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are, and they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last day has become worse for them than the first. It sounds like Peter was listening to Jesus when he was teaching. And then he says this, For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness, righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. How could that be better? And then he gives a glimpse what the true... Proverbs says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after watching herself, returns to wallow in the mire. He says, maybe the real problem is there wasn't real. They were still this. See, at some point, you have to start to address that. At some point, you have to say, maybe this is the... I hope it's not. I hope to God that you are crawling along on the ground towards him, struggling every step of the way. But at some point as observers, we might have to say, you know what, I'm concerned that maybe the problem might be something deeper. 1 John chapter 2 says, by this we, have, by this we know that we have come to know him. I'm going to tell you right now, this, 1 John is a great book to study. If you ever want to find any place in the Bible that says, well, then how can I know? If this hidden reality is the only book of the whole Bible that talks about how you can know that you are is 1 John. That actually uses the word know. And notice what it says. By this we know that we have come to know him. How? If we keep his commandments. Whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is what? A liar. What's the lie? I know him. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. That's an important perfected. It's not all at once. In one sense it is in our salvation, but it works itself out. We're, we're being perfected as well. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Just a few verses later he says this. We've referenced this this morning. It says they, then it's talking about now as an observer. 
because the people that John has talked to have seen people that have just said, forget it. And what does John say? They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, what would they have done? They would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. So I encourage you to heed the warning for yourself. Heed the warning. If you're in the middle of some moment of clarity, the house has been cleaned up. Don't bog yourself down with trying to figure out, wait, does that mean this or this? this? Just cry out to Jesus. Say, Lord, wherever I'm at, just dwell within me, please. Come live here. And then take hope. Because I hate to tell you, that's, that's what being a Christian is right there. Is the one who in the middle of that says, just dwell in me, Lord, whatever. Dwell in me. And then take hope. Any spiritual influences are on the outside now and will never truly be allowed back in because the stronger man dwells. The stronger man owns your house now. And finally, exercise insight. Exercise insight. Don't be rash with this. This is not meant to be a tool to walk out and start casting judgment and figuring out who is and no. But exercise insight with discretion and love. Because the most loving thing you may need to say to a person is, my friend, you may have this issue. Not that. You don't need more willpower. You don't need more this. You the real issue might be you have not been indwelt by the stronger man yet. Can I pray for you that he will do that? That this cleaned up moment, this moment of clarity will turn in you to a moment of regeneration in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for this day. I thank you for all that you've done. I thank you that you are the stronger man. I pray now, Lord, that you would bless the rest of our time this morning. I pray that you would bless those in this room, Lord, that are struggling with these exact things, that are seeking, Lord, to maybe in a moment of clarity to cry out to you. Lord, I would ask that you would fill them with your spirit even at this very moment. I pray these things now in Christ's name. Amen. We need to take a few minutes to reflect on the Lord's death and his life for us. If you have been listening and, and resonated with that, that sense of the knocking on the window that keeps persisting, those demons, whatever it is that's that onslaught. Maybe you are in Christ, but you just notice just that continual onslaught. The way to help arm you in dealing with that and in, in resisting that and fighting that and still continue to obey is by going after 
different ways that God gives grace. Now, we think of grace as that, that favor that saves you. That is true. But grace in itself simply means help. And God gives us help in different ways. One of the ways he gives us help is what we just did. You hear the word of God preached, and that strengthens your soul for the battle. Another way that God gives you grace is when you sit underneath this on your own throughout the week. You feast on Jesus, and he works through his word. His spirit uses the word. Another way is like what we did on Thursdays when we gather and encourage each other. God gives grace through his people. But what we're about to do right now is the other way that he gives grace. It's not grace that saves you, because if you have not turned to Christ, if today, if if till today you still have said, no, I'm not yet, then this, this time is not for you. In fact, it's warning against that. But if you have trusted in Christ, this is one of the other ways that he will give you strengthening grace. So what I want us to do is just take a minute to reflect, to think about Christ lived a perfect life for you in your place. His body was then broken for you. And then his blood was shed for you. Take a minute to reflect on that. And then when you're done, stand up and form a line up here we will have the take a cup and take a piece of the bread and go back to your seat we'll partake together